is the night before the intensive, I like to begin my programs by quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began each one by saying in Hindi, Sabko Varisanmane Kesat Prem Sehatik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. So I welcome you all here in the room, everyone in Radio Land, in Baba's behalf. <clears throat> so, it's always uh, uh, a special night on the night before the intensive, and traditionally, I always devote that to Baba because Baba created the intensive form as a vehicle for giving Shaktipat the awakening of the inner energy, the kundalini energy, uh, the divine energy latent in every person. And, and uh, because of that, so we remember Baba intensely during the intensive, and we remember him on the night before the intensive. So tonight, the great being that we talk about is Baba Muktananda. And particularly, we're going to look at things from his world tour, though not entirely not only that, this is Baba on tour. You can tell because he looks so neat and uh, and handsome and um, and uh, fancy uh, sweater and so on, different colors. So there's one. What else do you have? This is Baba during uh, his stay in Sydney in '74. I remember that. Uh, that day, we did a satsang out in the garden, if I'm not mistaken. I think that is Sydney 74. Next. And Baba, later on, this is uh, in LA or uh, Fallsburg. Yeah, it could be. And uh, giving, a, giving one of his evening talks. Is that it? One more? One more, great. Aha. Uh -huh. Arriving either in Australia or in, uh, in Fallsburg. I'm not sure which. Do you know which? Uh, but he... Uh, yeah. Well, no, he arrived. Sometimes he used a small plane. But uh, during his tour. Anyway, Baba Muktananda. Uh, the first uh, question answer is from, uh, not from his tours, but from my time with Baba in uh, Ganeshpur, in the ashram, in the early 70s. And he would give question answers several times a week. We'd go into his room, and uh, we would ask him questions. And this is from August of 1972. And the questioner was a fellow named Sean, who was a good friend of mine. He was uh, a musician from L.A., and he says, <clears throat> sometimes I find myself to be my own worst enemy. How can I overcome this tendency? Baba says, yes, the Lord says in the Gita, one is one's own friend and one is one's own enemy. And this is completely true. Nobody else can either be your friend or your enemy. It is you yourself who the cause of your own progress or downfall. Unfortunately, you begin to hold others responsible for it. In the Mahabharata, there's a very important dialogue between Krishna and Duryodhana, 
Now, the Mahabharata is uh, one of the epics, very famous and very long epic about uh, Lord Krishna and the war between uh, two parts of the same family. Um, and the Mahabharata and the Ramayana are read by every uh, school kid in India. <clears throat> so uh, Krishna and Duryodhan, Duryodhan is, uh, is the sort of the villain of the piece. Uh, but in that dialogue, Baba says, it said that nobody else can live, can give you either happiness or sorrow. If you feel that somehow someone else is causing you sorrow, you're deluding yourself. And this goes with what uh, Lilavati was uh, talking about, doesn't it? Uh, similarly, if you feel that somebody else is giving you happiness, again you're deluding yourself. It is foolish to think that somebody else is causing you happiness or pain. You suffer the consequences of your own actions. And more specifically, um, the nature of our thoughts creates pleasure or pain or happiness or, or sorrow. And uh, it's up to us to work with those thoughts and to make them move in the right direction. <clears throat> Baba says, the poet Saint Krishna Sutta says, man has become his own worst enemy Nobody else is his enemy. He never bothers to find out why he has come into this world, where he's going, and where he should go, what he's doing, and what he should do. By not concerning himself with these questions, he remains blind, and it is his blindness which is his worst enemy. Because he doesn't cherish his awakening, because his mind is only involved in mundane things, he never asks these profound questions, philosophical. Every person must have these questions, at least fleetingly. But these are precisely the questions that we have to ask ourselves. What is my life about? Who am I really? And what is the real purpose of my life? And Baba says, the tendency can be overcome by contemplation of the self, by right thinking, by thinking about the fundamental questions. Who am I? Why have I come here? What is my duty? What should I do? What should I avoid? How can I achieve the highest good? What's Shakti up to? <laughs> drinking. Shakti, do you ask these? Shakti? You ask these questions? What's your highest purpose? What should I avoid in order to escape a downfall? Baba says it's by engaging oneself in these questions that one can cease to become one's own enemy. This is self-inquiry. What's the purpose of life? Baba would always say there's dharma or different duties that we have in life. But then the ultimate dharma of dharmas is to know the self. That's the highest thing. Everything should be subordinated to that. <clears throat> Baba says, therefore, man should take himself across the ocean of change. He should transcend body consciousness. And this is interesting. By right thought, by studying the scriptures, and refining the truth of the self through meditation. So it's a threefold path. First one, right thought, very important. 
If the mind doesn't go in the right direction, you have no chance of happiness. If the mind goes into despair, that's what you get. And uh, the mind gives you reasons that it's going into it, but the reasons are false. We have a choice not to do down those paths, and that's what we have to do. So it's mental discipline, right thought, studying the scriptures, studying the writings of the great beings, studying whichever scripture. Scripture comes from a higher consciousness, and when you read it, you get in touch with that, and study it, assimilate it, think about it. This week we've uh, spent a lot of time studying Shaivism, and it was very profitable, because as you study these great texts, your mind is elevated, and it automatically puts it in the right place. And he says, and by finding the truth of the self through meditation. So going beyond thought, beyond scripture, to direct experience of the self. So that's a threefold path. Meditate, work on your mental culture, your mind culture, and study the writings and teachings of the great beings. <clears throat> he who comes to know his own inner self directly through meditation, the inner self which is shining as pure knowledge, as pure consciousness in the heart, he is his own best friend. If he doesn't do this, then he passes from death to death. After taking birth in this world, man should think about what he's done, what he's been born for, and where he is to go, and what he has to achieve in the course of his brief existence. He should be able to expel the various passions which keep arising and subsiding inside and make friends with your own self. Begin to value your own self, know it, remain aware of it. Then you'll be your own best friend and you will overcome suffering. Wonderful, uh, wonderful answer, isn't that? <clears throat> Let's do that for a minute. Let's do one part of that. Um, I like this line, the inner self which is shining as pure knowledge, as pure consciousness in the heart. And Bob is saying, which all the sages agree, that within us, uh, despite anything we've done, bad actions we might have done, depression that we might have, and so on, addictions that we might have, uh, our essence is this shining, brilliant, blissful place inside. And so just, just for a moment, say to yourself that within me there is shining pure knowledge and pure consciousness in my heart. Just say that to yourself. You don't even have to find it. You just have to make that statement to yourself. Within me there's the beautiful, perfect self, perfect contentment, and perfect joy. If you really say that with earnestness, you'll get a taste of that, that same state. Okay, another one. Now this is from the tour, from the second or third world tour. Question, I wonder if the Shakti can make me a better bricklayer, a better doctor, or a better baker? 
Well, to make up your mind. <laughs> now, the, the point is, can getting Shaktipat and waking the Shakti make me better at, some, at worldly life, too? Baba says, your question is beautiful. If the Shakti or inner awakening did not enable you to function better in your outer life, what would be the point of it? The Shakti that I speak of is not some ordinary energy. It is Chitti, the energy of consciousness, which creates and permeates the entire cosmos. It is the very Shakti which lies dormant within us and becomes active through Shaktipat. And Baba's talking about what's often called the Kundalini energy, the potential of divinity within every person. It's lying dormant and then it awakens and then uh, we move from strength to strength. Baba says, once that happens, it is perfectly capable of taking care of your outer life too. In fact, it improves our outer life to an immeasurable degree. A doctor's intuition will become more subtle so that he can diagnose disease with fewer instruments. <clears throat> One of the doctors that comes is, always, is very interested in diagnostics. So without instruments, intuitively, you can sense what the disease is. A bricklayer will become expert in his craft. A warrior will fight with great vigor. This is from Baba's life as a king. We don't usually value that, that profession, but historically it was important. A baker will bake the rays of Shakti into his bread and make it more delectable. <clears throat> you know, Baba would come into the kitchen all the time and take part in the cooking, and he'd say, you have to put the Shakti into the food. If you cook with love, that food will be delicious and uplifting and would fill of, fill of joy. But if you cook with no interest, with boredom and with uh, negative thoughts and hatred, that food won't be delicious. And there'll be something repellent about it. It might hurt your tummy. So, Baba says, the Shakti affects not only humans, but also animals, plants, and trees. If you have time, come to our ashram in India and see what giant mangoes grow on our trees. We grow so many different kinds of fruits and vegetables. Shakti also affects animals very deeply. When I used to visit the cows in our cow shed, sometimes the milk would start to come spontaneously and pour onto the floor. <laughs> I, you know, I, I used to go to the cow shed. And, uh, cows there were just beautiful. They were full of bliss and uh, Shakti. And, I, and when Baba came, uh, there was so much love in the air he used to regard the cow as a symbol of the mother, and the cows uh, have that quality, and they loved him so much, it was beautiful. Baba says, Shakti is the energy of exuberance and joy, stirring the heart of every creature. The summum bonum, the, the, the highest good, is Shakti. Another question from the tour. Can I gain something from a guru without giving up my religion? Baba, why not? <laughs> what religion does sleep belong to? If he wishes, a Hindu may call it Hindu sleep, a Christian, Christian sleep, a Muslim, Muslim sleep. A communist has communist sleep, and a fascist has fascist sleep. 
and the left winger has left wing sleep and the right winger has right wing sleep. It's absurd, isn't it? <clears throat> the truth is, Baba says, that meditation is everyone's own personal religion because it's entirely your own thing. It doesn't depend on external dogmas, rituals, or doctrines. It's simply you being confronted, confronting yourself with yourself, seeing what's in there and going to the deepest part of yourself. So it transcends religions, which are external manifestations. He says, the inner self doesn't distinguish among Hinduism, Christianity, and Islam. A Brahmin priest may say that God is high above, but if he experiences any joy in singing God's name, it will be in his own heart. A Muslim Malvi may raise his hands toward the sky and call Allah, Allah, but if he receives even a little grace from God, he will experience it within. So we may say all these ideas and doctrines, but the fruit of it is always inside. Another one. What is, question, Baba, what is the significance of intense focus on the guru? Is there any danger in this? Does it ever leave? Baba, this intense focus on the guru is very significant. If you have this kind of yearning, the guru's shakti will enter into you and begin to work within you, and it will do great work. So, He's talking here about openness of the disciples. The disciple is open. He draws that shakti to himself. If two, two seekers come to a place and one is open spiritually, ready to grow, ready to be taught, ready to receive, then it's very easy transmission happens. But if the other one has all kinds of doubts and fears and, and restrictions and uh, no current, then the, the energy will not penetrate that, that person. He says, any work is completed only through intense focus. On the spiritual path, you should have intense yearning for God, for attainment of God. You should say, I'm going to attain God. I'm going to attain the spiritual path. I'm going to meditate to attain him. Okay, let's all say it. No, don't say it, but... I'll say it for you. I'm going to. <laughs> it's good to, you know, they talk about renewing your vows. It's good to renew your vows every day, spiritually. That's why Gurdjieff said, remember why you came. Every day to rededicate yourself to the, to the highest. It's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> Baba says, intense yearning for the guru is very good. It is only your doubt that is very dangerous. Nothing else. First of all, remove the doubt, and then everything will be fine. So the question actually was an expression of doubt, wasn't it? Fear, fear and doubt. So remove that and leap into the world of bliss. Question, also about Shaktipat or Guru's grace. Is there anything one can do to receive a Guru's grace? Baba, all that's required is love and faith. Nothing else. Even a little love will draw the guru's shakti to you. The greater the flow of love, the more the shakti leaps and plays inside you. 
you become, isn't that, uh, people who have been doing this for a long time know it's true, that on days when you feel open, the Shakti is dancing. On other days when you're closed, your mind's going in a negative direction, you're out of touch with the Shakti, you can feel that. It's a, it's a cosmic law. <clears throat> Baba goes on, you become like your obsession. One who entertains thoughts of anger sinks into the pit of anger. One who is constantly obs obsessed by maya, illusion, falls into the trap of illusion. Likewise, Sunda, the poet saint, says, one who thinks of the guru continually becomes the guru. You draw the shakti, Baba says, the power of one whom you love into yourself. That's what, if you read Baba's autobiography, the, the essence, his spiritual secret is in that book, and it's called Guru Bhav, by meditating on his guru. His love for his guru is so great that he, and he meditated on the guru that they merged in some mystical sense so that all the power of Bhagavan Nityananda came to Baba. Okay, how are we doing? All right. We're doing okay. All right, here's one on mantra. We've, uh, this week we've um, emphasized the, the Hamsa mantra, which is the breath. The breath is considered a mantra because it's going on all the time. And it's always saying in subtle form, I am that. Hum in, sa out. So we've been focusing on this wonderful uh, uh, Shaivite technique. Here's a question on mantra. This is another one from my day in Ganeshpuri, asked by Barry. Barry is an American guy, a uh, very keen seeker. He says, what is the inner difference between mala japa, ajapa japa, and meditation? Is there any daily limit to mala japa? Is writing a mantra of any value? See, we were so involved in the process of spirituality. We were all doing mantras, certain number of mantras, or we were doing other practices, and we were all doing this, and we would come to see Baba and ask him specific questions like that. So uh, mala japa is, um, you can say the mantra on uh, beads. So you say one time for each bead, om namah shiva, om namah shiva. Om Namah Shiva, Om Namah Shiva, Om Namah Shiva. Uh, that's Mala Japa. And it's a, a wonderful one. Everyone, uh, I, I've often used that. Um, and Ajapa Japa is uh, the natural, the, the, the Japa-less Japa. Japa means meditation, a repetition of mantra. And Ajapa Japa is, is the breath the, the saying the mantra that goes on always automatically. It's really just watching the breath uh, and meditation, he's saying. <clears throat> so Baba says, japa uh, is a means to make the mind one-pointed. It is much better to do japa on a mala than to write a mantra. Oh, that's another technique that, that um, a lot of uh, Indian seekers do. They write mantras filling books with like Om Namah Shiva, Om Namah Shiva. I did a little bit of it myself, I have to confess. Kind of nice. 
uh, and my fingers got realized quickly, but not the rest of me. No, so he says, much better do it on a, a mala, use the mala, rosary. Uh, for meditation, you do not need the mala so much. <clears throat> you may need it at the initial stage, and you may use it then, because in mantra repetition, it is not the outer beads which you keep turning, it is the inner beads. You should combine your mantra with your breath. Repeat it once while inhaling and once while exhaling. Sit quietly in a corner and practice this method and then it will feel quite natural. So there are several ways you can repeat the mantra. One is mentally, with no, no reference to the breath at whatever speed you want. Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Gurom, Gurom, Gurom. Before I met Baba, I was going Ram, 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 Ram. That was it. Um, <clears throat> or you can do it with the, the beads. Or Baba's recommending here combining it with the breath. Om Namah Shivaya on the in-breath. Om Namah Shivaya on the out-breath. Om Namah Shivaya. And an extension of that is the hamsa technique, hum in, sa out. <clears throat> in my case, Baba says, the mantra japa goes on with breathing, even during sleep. If you were to practice your mantra with deep faith and devotion, with genuine interest and great intense love, you would find the mantra chasing you all the time. Now it is other things which take your interest and which keep overpowering you. But after you've practiced the mantra for some time with earnest devotion, then the mantra will overpower you. So you'll remember the highest rather than be obsessed by something else. You should have intense craving for japa and do it with enjoyment, with profound inner taste all the time. Next time you do mantra, have the intentionality of profoundly enjoying it. And you'll see that it'll become very enjoyable. Not as a, a task, but as something of great joy. If you were to practice in that manner, you would find that japa will go on automatically in you, even if you're not aware of it. What is of importance here is the intensity of one's interest in japa. Unfortunately, we do not have to become fully aware of the meaning of the mantra that we're practicing. Like we become fully aware of the meaning of ordinary words in our daily life. It is of utmost importance for one to understand the significance of the divine name, to be fully aware of its meaning and importance. Read the writings of the great saints on the theme of the mantra, the divine name. See with what intensity they practice it and what they have gained as a result. In Maharashtra, which is the state that the ashram is in, state of India, there have been so many great saints who have practiced japa and written extremely good books on the subject. I used to study them with great care. And Baba says, in everyday life, we find that words have a strong effect. Even while we're reading, our minds get affected. Sometimes you happen to read an article in a newspaper with which you're not at all concerned and which is not at all concerned with you, and yet you begin to boil inside. That's what happens all the time. You watch, read something that has nothing to do with your life and you get totally engaged. 
In daily life, we can see what power sound, word, or language wields. So you just some thoughts come in and engage you. So this is the power of language. Now I'm speaking, and what I'm saying is being recorded on that tape with, with uh, most fidel utmost fidelity, of running the tape recorder. Similarly, the japa, the mantra that we do, should become imprinted on our inner heart. What is recorded on tape will have great power, as much power as words coming from my mouth, and the same is true of japa. And say, you could say that it's the, the unwanted tapes, the unwanted tapes that, you, that by negative habitual mental tendencies will get erased by creating a new tape, which is the mantra, which refers to the highest truth. We should track the course of a particular mantra right to its source. Say a mantra such as Guru Om or Hamsa or Om Namah Shivaya. Use that and then resting in that state of stillness from where the mantric sound emanates. So go to the source of it. In the Hamsa technique, Baba suggests we focus on the space between the breaths, the Dvada Santa. And in that space, which is the, the source, we can experience the self. So he's saying that go to the, the mind-free state between the mantras or at the base of the mantras, and the mind can rest there. He says, to dive deep into one's inner self along with that letter of the mantra is an activity which is full of great joy, great bliss. It releases tremendous love inside and it floods the being with great sweetness. <clears throat> There's a sweetness factory inside, a love factory inside, a peace factory. And through the mantra, we re can reach that, that place. Okay. All right, I've got one, one Bhagwan, and then we'll meditate. My favorite, favorite, favorite Bhagwan. This one should definitely be a plaque everywhere. Some part of it, you'll know. Uh, Bhagwan Nityananda said, equal vision allows the upward breath at the time of death. <laughs> he means the upward shift that, that if, you, if, you, if you live your life with equal vision, not getting too depressed about these things or too elated about these things, seeing all things as equal, treating people equally, doesn't mean perfectly, it means generally. So that there's detachment, you live your life with love and with peace. Then at the time of death, there'll be an upward movement of the soul. The soul will move to higher realms. He says, equal sightedness is the divine sight. Indivisible, full of delight, subtle, eternal, Equal vision, to have equal vision, something to contemplate. What does that mean to have equal vision? The more we get, we get caught up hysterically in likes and dislikes, and even about social issues, anything, we get, our minds get uh, caught in that, and there's no equal vision, and then we become agitated and miserable. Baba says, balancing the incoming and outgoing breaths is yoga. 
Hamsa. Balancing them. With the Guru's great, cultivate this balance. Meditate in the head. Meditate in the ocean of eternal delight. Meditate on the Ida, the Pingla, and the Sushumna. So the, uh, this refers to the three major nadis, or nerves, subtle nerves in the body, the central Sushumna, and then the other two that twist around. <clears throat> and now comes the, the phrase, this is the phrase that is my favorite phrase in the world. Arise, kundalini delight. Very, very good for the intensive. The match is in the box. The light is in the match. Strike the match and light the fire. Come on, baby, light my fire. The analogy from lighting a fire, Jyotise uh, Jyotise says, O Guru, kindle your flame within me. A light is passed, the torch is passed from generation, like the Olympic torch, passed from one to the other. That, uh, from a lit candle to an unlit candle, from an illumined master to a student, that same flame is passed on. So he says, uh, strike the match and light the fire. Ignorance is darkness, knowledge is light. Kundalini is the eternal delight. Kundalini is the eternal delight in the heart. The light of Brahman, ablaze with the light of a million suns. So that's wonderful stuff. The light of Brahman. <clears throat> Bhagwan goes on, sunlight is the physical light. The solar nerve is the sushumna. So inside the subtle sun is the sushumna, the central nerve. The lunar nerve, the ida, and the stellar nerve, the pingala. So the inner star is the pingala, and the inner moon is the ida. The essence of the third eye is jnana, or wisdom. It is this yana, in this jnana nadi, there is sleep, sushupti, in Sushupti, there is no wakefulness. Balancing the inward and outward breath, enjoy the subtle sleep. Sleep the sleep of deep samadhi. Go deep inside into that stillness. Enjoy the subtle sleep and the eternal joy of the balanced breath. As you balance the breath and become peaceful, the mind turns within and enters an inner state of supreme peace. The seat of the breath is the truth, the inward space, the space between the breaths, the chittakash, the space of consciousness, unbounded pure awareness, the sky of the heart. Doesn't get much better than that. T.S. Eliot couldn't do better. Chocolate kills T.S. Eliot. I like you, Thomas Stearns Eliot. I like you, but, you know, Bhagwan Nityananda. All right, so let's uh, do that. At the intensive, we strike the match and light the fire. Uh, and every time we turn within, we turn in towards the light within us. Some of us 
like the idea that we're turning to the light, others that we're turning towards love, others that we're turning towards bliss, others that we're turning towards energy. All of those are true because the self is marked by all of that. And whichever way you like, go that way that makes sense to you. And turn within. We're going to meditate now for 10 minutes. And we're going to focus on that space within that Bob was talking about, that Bhagwan is talking about, that I am absolutely convinced exists within every person. And instead of being confused about it, shut up about that. <laughs> Just go and find it. There's so much uh, intelligence inside every person. There's so much wisdom. Don't rely on other people. Find it yourself. Meditation teaches meditation. By, by moving inward, you learn the way to move deeper. If you listen inside, the voice of the self will teach you these things. So let's meditate on the self. Um, since we've been doing the meditation all week, let's do the Hamsa mantra, if you like. Or you can say the mantra that you've been doing, Om Namah Shivaya, Guru Om, or whatever. But for 10 minutes, watch the breath come in and go out. Let the breath be even. Comes in, hum, out, sa. In, hum, and out, sa. Just be the witness of the breath. Let it come in and go out. Let the breath go up and go down. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguru Nat. Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. 